book one section nine part two of the world as will and idea volume one by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine book one the world as idea section nine part two every science is a system of general and therefore abstract truths laws and rules with reference to a special class of objects the individual case coming under these laws is determined in accordance with this general knowledge which is valid once for all because such application of the general principle is far easier than the exhaustive investigation of the particular case for the general abstract knowledge which has once been obtained is always more within our reach than the empirical investigation of the particular case with logic however it is just the other way it is the general knowledge of the mode of procedure of the reason expressed in the form of rules it is reached by the introspection of reason and by abstraction from all content but this mode of procedure is necessary and essential to reason so that it will never depart from it if left to itself it is therefore easier and surer to let it proceed itself according to its nature in each particular case than to present to it the knowledge abstracted from this procedure in the form of a foreign and externally given law it is easier because while in the case of all other sciences the general rule is more within our reach than the investigation of the particular case taken by itself with the use of reason on the contrary its necessary procedure in a given case is always more within our reach than the general rule abstracted from it for that which thinks in us is reason itself it is surer because a mistake may more easily occur in such abstract knowledge or in its application than that a process of reason should take place which would run contrary to its essence and nature hence arises the remarkable fact that while in other sciences the particular case is always proved by the rule in logic on the contrary the rule must always be proved from the particular case and even the most practised logician if he remarked that in some particular case he concludes otherwise than the rule prescribes will always expect to find a mistake in the rule rather than in his own conclusion to desire to make practical use of logic means therefore to desire to derive with unspeakable trouble from general rules that which is immediately known with the greatest certainty in the particular case it is just as if a man were to consult mechanics as to the motion of his body and physiology as to his digestion and whoever has learnt logic for practical purposes is like him who would teach a beaver to make its own dam logic is therefore without practical utility but it must nevertheless be retained because it has philosophical interest as the special knowledge of the organization and action of reason it is rightly regarded as a definite self-subsisting self-contained complete and thoroughly safe discipline to be treated scientifically for itself alone and independently of everything else and therefore to be studied at the universities but it has its real value in relation to philosophy as a whole in the inquiry into the nature of knowledge and indeed of rational and abstract knowledge therefore the exposition of logic should not have so much the form of a practical science should not contain merely naked arbitrary rules 
for the correct formation of the judgment the syllogism etc but should rather be directed to the knowledge of the nature of reason and the concept and to the detailed investigation of the principle of sufficient reason of knowing for logic is only a paraphrase of this principle and more exactly only of that exemplification of it in which the ground that gives truth to the judgment is neither empirical nor metaphysical but logical or metalogical besides the principle of sufficient reason of knowing it is necessary to take account of the three remaining fundamental laws of thought or judgments of metalogical truth so nearly related to it and out of these the whole science of reason grows the nature of thought proper that is to say of the judgment and the syllogism must be exhibited in the combination of the spheres of concepts according to the analogy of the special schema in the way shown above and from all this the rules of the judgment and the syllogism are to be deduced by construction the only practical use we can make of logic is in a debate when we can convict our antagonist of his intentional fallacies rather than of his actual mistakes by giving them their technical names by thus throwing into the background the practical aim of logic and bringing out its connection with the whole scheme of philosophy as one of its chapters we do not think that we shall make the study of it less prevalent than it is just now for at the present day every one who does not wish to remain uncultured and to be numbered with the ignorant and incompetent multitude must study speculative philosophy for the nineteenth century is a philosophical age though by this we do not mean either that it has philosophy or that philosophy governs it but rather that it is ripe for philosophy and therefore stands in need of it this is a sign of a high degree of civilization and indeed is a definite stage in the culture of the ages though logic is of so little practical use it cannot be denied that it was invented for practical purposes it appears to me to have originated in the following way as the love of debating developed among the eleatics the megarics and the sophists and by degrees became almost a passion the confusion in which nearly every debate ended must have made them feel the necessity of a method of procedure as a guide and for this a scientific dialectic had to be sought the first thing which would have to be observed would be that both the disputing parties should always be agreed on some one proposition to which the disputed points might be referred the beginning of the methodical procedure consisted in this that the propositions admitted on both sides were formally stated to be so and placed at the head of the inquiry but these propositions were at first concerned only with the material of the inquiry it was soon observed that in the process of going back to the truth admitted on both sides and of deducing their assertions from it each party followed certain forms and laws about which without any express agreement there was no difference of opinion and from this it became evident that these must constitute the peculiar and natural procedure of reason itself the form of investigation although this was not exposed to any doubt or difference of opinion some pedantically systematic philosopher hit upon the idea that it would look well and be the completion of the method of dialectic if this formal part of all discussion this regular procedure of reason itself were to be expressed in abstract propositions just like the substantial propositions admitted on both sides and placed at the beginning of every investigation as the fixed canon of debate to which reference and appeal must always be made 
in this way what had formerly been followed only by tacit agreement and instinctively would be consciously recognized and formally expressed by degrees more or less perfect expressions were found for the fundamental principles of logic such as the principles of contradiction sufficient reason excluded middle the dictum de omni et nullo as well as the special rules of the syllogism as for example ex meris particularibus aut negativis nihil sequitur a rationato ad rationem non valet consequentia and so on that all this was only brought about slowly and with great pains and up till the time of aristotle remained very incomplete is evident from the awkward and tedious way in which logical truths are brought out in many of the platonic dialogues and still more from what sextus empiricus tells us of the controversies of the megarics about the easiest and simplest logical rules and the laborious ways in which they were brought into a definite form but aristotle collected arranged and corrected all that had been discovered before his time and brought it to an incomparably greater state of perfection if we thus observe how the course of greek culture had prepared the way for and led up to the work of aristotle we shall be little inclined to believe the assertion of the persian author quoted by sir william jones with much approval that callisthenes found a complete system of logic among the indians and sent it to his uncle aristotle it is easy to understand that in the dreary middle ages the aristotelian logic would be very acceptable to the controversial spirit of the schoolmen which in the absence of all real knowledge spent its energy upon mere formulas and words and that it would be eagerly adopted even in its mutilated arabian form and presently established as the centre of all knowledge though its authority has since declined yet up to our own time logic has retained the credit of a self-contained practical and highly important science indeed in our own day the kantian philosophy the foundation stone of which is taken from logic has excited a new interest in it which in this respect at any rate that is as the means of the knowledge of the nature of reason it deserves correct and accurate conclusions may be arrived at if we carefully observe the relation of the spheres of concepts and only conclude that one sphere is contained in a third sphere when we have clearly seen that this first sphere is contained in a second which in its turn is contained in the third on the other hand the art of sophistry lies in casting only a superficial glance at the relations of the spheres of the concepts and then manipulating these relations to suit our purposes generally in the following way when the sphere of an observed concept lies partly within that of another concept and partly within a third altogether different sphere we treat it as if it lay entirely within the one or the other as may suit our purpose for example in speaking of passion we may subsume it under the concept of the greatest force the mightiest agency in the world or under the concept of the irrational and this again under the concept of impotency or weakness we may then repeat the process and start anew with each concept to which the argument leads us a concept has almost always several others which partially come under it and each of these contains part of the sphere of the first but also includes in its own sphere something more which is not in the first but we draw attention only to that one of these latter concepts under which we wish to subsume the first and let the others remain unobserved or keep them concealed 
on the possession of this skill depends the whole art of sophistry and all finer fallacies for logical fallacies such as mentians velatus cornatus etc are clearly too clumsy for actual use i am not aware that hitherto any one has traced the nature of all sophistry and persuasion back to this last possible ground of its existence and referred it to the peculiar character of concepts that is to the procedure of reason itself therefore as my exposition has led me to it though it is very easily understood i will illustrate it in the following table by means of a schema this table is intended to show how the spheres of concepts overlap each other at many points and so leave room for a passage from each concept to whichever one we please of several other concepts i hope however that no one will be led by this table to attach more importance to this little explanation which i have merely given in passing than ought to belong to it from the nature of the subject i have chosen as an illustration the concept of travelling its sphere partially includes four others to any of which the sophist may pass at will these again partly include other spheres several of them two or more at once and through these the sophist takes whichever way he chooses always as if it were the only way till at last he reaches in good or evil whatever end he may have in view in passing from one sphere to another it is only necessary always to follow the direction from the centre the given chief concept to the circumference and never to reverse this process such a piece of sophistry may be either an unbroken speech or it may assume the strict syllogistic form according to what is the weak side of the hearer most scientific arguments and especially philosophical demonstrations are at bottom not much more than this for how else would it be possible that so much in different ages has not only been falsely apprehended for error itself has a different source but demonstrated and proved and has yet afterwards been found to be fundamentally wrong for example the leibniz wolfian philosophy ptolemaic astronomy stahl's chemistry newton's theory of colors etc etc end of book one section nine recording by expatriate in bangor maine